All right. Okay, Winston, can you give me some more house lights back there, buddy? We got Winston running our lights this morning, one of our students, and he's doing a fantastic job. Yeah, right? I love these guys. Oh, look out. All right. Uh, we have Kids World, yes? All right, so the kids can go for Kids World if they'd like to do that. So thankful for those of us who uh, continue to contribute to children's ministry and give of their time and efforts and energies week after week. If you want to be part of that, you can see Miss Carrie, and she'll get you all lined up. And we always need more. And uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you now, another emphasis that we're going to have here in the next few weeks, as soon as I can get with Pastor Jason and talk about a couple of things, is we're, we're going to find some people to help with student ministry in this church. And if I can't find them here, I'm going to go get them somewhere else. Because we need help. Amen? So be thinking about that. I'm praying for you, because maybe it's you that God wants to come and help uh, with student ministry with our middle school and high school. Because... Uh, we can't go forward if we don't have help, and uh, we need that. So, um, but we have some very specific ways in which we want to do that and how that's going to work. So you've got to be willing to come and work with us. All right, so all that being said, happy epiphany. Anybody? Hmm? Epiphany is... Uh, in technicality, the 12th day after Christmas. The celebration has, has now uh, transformed into the first Sunday. Is that right? Second Sunday after Christmas, closest to the 12 days after Christmas. So that would be today. Uh, and you say, well, what is Epiphany? Well, we can take the dictionary kind of lens on it, right? Epiphany is a, <gasps> what? I never knew that before, or I just realized that, you know, um, you could come up with examples of that probably from your own life, things that you've uh, looked at for years. I'll give you one from my, from my childhood that still makes me uh, giggle internally, because still when I see this word, I still go through the mental process. Sorry, I'm chewing on a, a little cough drop thing. It's almost gone, and that'll no longer irritate. Never mind. About to get off on a rabbit trail there, but I don't. I don't know if you've had this experience. I have somewhere on my Facebook. There's an entertaining thread about people who, like, they would see a word in print and not realize it was a word that they knew how to say in English, because in their in their brain, in their speaking brain, they didn't really understand how it was spelled, and so they would see it in print and go, "I don't know what that word is," but it was a word they might use all the time. And then somewhere along the line, the two intersected, and they had that moment of, oh, that's what that word. And for me, the word was awry, A-W-R-Y. I knew the word as a kid. I had heard it used in language, and I, I was kind of into, like, um, mystery-type things, like Scooby-Doo before it was stupid. Um, <laughs> because, you know, now it's all like, you know, demons and all that. And back then, it was always meddling kids and, and some old man in a costume, right? Uh, and it was, it was kind of a harmless kind of thing. But, you know, things would go awry, meaning things suddenly didn't go the way that you thought they were going to do. But when I would see it in print, and I can remember very clearly, I used to read these little comics called BC. Anybody? 
Johnny Hart, BC, Wizard of Id. Um, I know, I'm so old. This is when cartoons were good. Can I just say that? Can I get a witness? Yeah, amen? Um, I remember seeing it in print in this little, it's like be like three or four panel, little black and white drawings. And, and I just remember seeing this word and I went, Ari, what is Ari? A-W-R-Y. And this went on for a long time, Ari. And so I would see it in print and I would go, I don't know what that means. And at, somewhere along the way, I finally got the sense to look it up in the dictionary. That's a thing we also used to use. Um, <laughs> kids, it was a book, another book filled with words. And you would look up each word alphabetically, and then after the word, it would tell you what it meant. Um, now we just Google everything, right? What is that? Um, and so I had seen it again somewhere. I was like, what is that word? I was in the habit of when I was reading, I would look up words I didn't understand, and I look it up, and I have that epiphany. I go, oh, I'm stupid. <laughs> How did I not know that this word that I can pronounce, and in my head I know what it means, that it didn't translate to that printed image that I'm seeing now, A-W-R-Y. And uh, it's, it's interesting to me, maybe you have an experience like that, particularly with language. There are a lot of people that have that experience with language where there's a word that they just, even late in life, they finally have this bing, this light bulb goes off and they go, oh, oh, that's what that means. Or, oh, that's how that's spelled. It's just funny. But we can have those experiences in lots of areas in our lives. An epiphany um, in, a, in a more... I don't know, esoteric sense, if you want to look that word up, you can Google it right now, um, in, a, in a more philosophical sense, in a, in a broader, bigger, universal, you know, the cosmos sense, an epiphany is something that uh, we are observing something, we're learning something, an event is happening in our lives, and it intersects with something else that's in our lives or in our thoughts or in our experience, and suddenly a new truth becomes evident that we didn't realize before. And it's so powerful that we sense it even in our deepest beings. It actually changes us. And, and if I go back to my simple uh, example of the word, I still in my brain when I see A-W-R-Y, I know immediately it's a rye, but I sort of entertain myself and go back to the thought that I used to, every time I saw that in print, I go, Ari, I don't know what that is. And so there's an identification with what was before, but a realization that now there is something completely new, and our understanding has been wildly expanded. And so why do we call this Sunday or this season the Epiphany? I'm going to share some scripture with you, but let me tell you just a little bit of part, a little, little part of the, the Christmas story that doesn't get a lot of attention. Um, we... Uh, mentioned it here. We did some music regarding it, and it's uh, you know there's a popular Christmas carol called "We Three Kings." Used to be used to be called "We Three Kings of Orient," because there was a tradition that the three kings, the Magi, maybe came from Asia, uh, at least uh, Prussia and some other areas. We'll talk about that in a minute. But this visit of the wise men, and it, it's always referred to as three because. There's a couple of things in scripture that hint at that, and then there were three gifts that they brought to Jesus. But we're actually gonna learn something from the book of Isaiah that it was probably much more dramatic than these three guys showing up. 
But the story goes like this. You know, we, we just celebrated Christmas. We know about uh, this, the star in the sky. We know about the, the host of the angels who came and declared to the, to the shepherds that the Messiah was born. Uh, we know the story of the manger, the stable, uh, the, the common people coming and seeing Jesus. And then at the end of that, if you look like at Matthew chapter 1, you read through Matthew chapter 1 and into verse 2, you kind of get the whole Christmas story there. And then we arrive at chapter 2. And there's the story of the Magi, the wise men, um, coming into Jerusalem, getting an audience with King Herod and telling him, they come in and they figure he's the king, he's going to know everything. They come in and they say, hey, where is, this, where is this child that we've heard of who is being called the king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and our prophets had foretold that. And we're trying to find him now. We've arrived now at the place where the star has, has been hovering over. He must be here in uh, Jerusalem or somewhere in this area. Can you tell us where he is? And this unsettles the king very much. Uh, because he doesn't want anyone challenging his kingship. He wants to be the only king. And this, guy's, this, this child is being referred to as the king of the Jews. And understand that, that Herod is a king here with the Roman Empire. And the Jews are under the foot. They're under the heel of the Roman Empire. And if there was going to be a challenge to the authority of Herod and to the Roman Empire, it was going to come from the people who were, who were being pushed down, right? The people who were oppressed. And so this just sends all these crazy thoughts flying in Herod's head. And so he sets up what he thinks is a cool plan with the, the kings. He says... Well, I think I hear he's something in this place over here. And, and if you find him, be sure and let me know because I want to go and worship him too. Which, of course, is not true. And so the wise men go and they finally find the place where Jesus is. They worship him. They bring their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then they have uh, basically a visitation, a dream, another prophetic moment comes to them. And God tells them, don't go back to King Herod. He's a bad guy, uh, and, and bad things will happen. And so they actually uh, go against the king, and they leave the country by a different path. When Herod finds this out, he's upset again. He's angry. And this is the part in the story where Herod then commands his people, his guards, to go throughout the country and kill every male child two years old and younger. What a horrific thing. It's a little reminiscent of the angel of death in Egypt, right? It's interesting. But it also tells us that at this point, when, when the wise men have come and they've worshipped and then they've left, Jesus is somewhere between birth and two years old. Because this is the range in which Herod is looking at from the first time that he heard about it to now these guys have come and then they've sort of you know, turned the tables on Herod and they took off in the night. And so now he tries to, to cover his bases and kill this king of the Jews. And then we find in the story that, that Joseph and Mary and Jesus uh, gather their things up at the direction of God and they flee to another country in order to escape that, right? And so we have this whole event of the Magi happening here a long time after that scene in the stable, in the manger, the birth, the Christmas story that we celebrate. And so that's why there's this lag time between 
the celebration of Christmas and what many churches and many denominations do, many uh, religious beliefs around the world celebrate as the epiphany. And the reason it's called the epiphany is because of who the Magi were, who these wise men were and who they represented and when they came to worship. So if you want to go with me back to Isaiah chapter 60, that's where we're going to be today. Just a few verses from this passage. And just so you know, maybe you've heard that uh, Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament relating to who the Messiah would be and, and how he would come and what he would look like. This is one of those passages that, that relates to that. A lot of that is in the book of Isaiah. Uh, and if you want to read through some of those, you can. All the way back uh, into some of the early uh, chapters of the 50s, um, on through 62, 63 of Isaiah. There's a lot of prophecy in here that relates to Jesus. And then our belief that Jesus is the only one who fulfilled these prophecies in all of history. That's why we believe he's the Messiah, because he, he, he checked every box on who the Messiah was supposed to be. And no one else has. So this is part of that. What's interesting to me about this, these six verses that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, you might have a Bible like mine that says, uh, at the top of chapter 60, it says, This is the future glory of Israel. And, and that's certainly true. Uh, it's, it's talking about the prophecy of what will happen with the nation of Israel and how the Messiah will bring to them these things that have been promised. But like many, many of these passages, they're also directed at the future church, those of us who were not born into the nation of Israel but have been adopted into the nation through Jesus Christ. And it's also directed to us as individuals to understand things about who God is and how he functions in the world. So uh, let's read just a little bit of this passage, and I'll give you a couple of, couple of quick points. And I'm going to ask the Lord to just bless us with these and speak some truth into our hearts this morning that will encourage us. So verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And we're just going to stop right there. Uh, this verse uh, has always made me think of this time period in Alaska, in the Alaska season. Uh, when I was in uh, high school, I went to West Anchorage High School. Who? Anyone? You. You went to Anchorage High School, though. Was it, was it called West yet? <laughs> All right. On the anchor, on the anchor, hello, West Side. Never mind. Um, But look, I'm not a fan of winter. I know, I've only been here for 47 years. Um, thanks, Dad. He's right there. Um, I'd rather it snow. If it's going to be winter, let's have snow, right? I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll give you that because it makes things brighter and lighter, and, and there are some fun things you can do in the snow, although I don't find them terribly entertaining myself. Uh, but I get tired of the dark, really get tired of the dark. I'm very excited that we've turned the corner the solstice and we're gaining light and all that business. But the sunrise this time of year to me, uh, and I've been all over the world, 
is the most beautiful sunrise I've ever seen. And when I was in high school, the way the school was situated, there was a certain row of classrooms and a couple of different hallways that faced the east. And I would actually try to plan my school schedule to have classes in those rooms in the morning so that I could watch the sunrise. I didn't care what the class was. I don't care what they were teaching, which if you look at my report card, you can see that that's true. Um, I just wanted to enjoy that beauty. And look, the nice thing for most of us right now is you can enjoy the sunrise right now without getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning, right? That's great. But that, I don't know, something about the way the tilt of the earth is right now in relationship to the sun and the way it comes up over the mountains over there, the snow everywhere, especially if it's a, a bluebird day, when it first starts to come up behind there and you haven't even seen it yet and you have the anticipation of that giant orb breaking the horizon, to me that's a moment of epiphany when it finally peaks up. Um, We've told this story before, but it's been a long time. I'm not going to go into the whole thing because I don't want to keep you forever. But, you know, we went to, to Hawaii a handful of years ago with the boys. And uh, there's a, you know, the island of Maui is created because of a, a volcano called Haleakala. Uh, everything else is, is runoff of lava from that volcano. And you can go up to the top of the volcano uh, every morning and watch the sunrise. And it's really... An astounding thing, if you get a chance to do that, if you're thinking, oh, I might do that someday, if you ever get to go, I'm just going to say this, take jackets and blankets with you to the summit. Because even though every day that you've been there, it's 80 degrees down at the beach and it's awesome, it's about 38 degrees at the summit before the sun comes up. We did not know that. It was cold. I mean, it was bitter. Bitter enough that we started to think this was a stupid idea. I don't know whose idea this was. And it was super early in the morning, and, and I think we were all beginning to, to question the wisdom of whether this was, was great. But guys, it's such a great metaphor for the same thing I'm talking about, is of seeing the sunrise here. And, and this verse that says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. Because we're standing there, and we're freezing to death. I mean, our teeth are chattering, and we're looking out across the horizon. And there's a, a, a layer of clouds probably a 1,000 feet below us, that in the darkness, we couldn't tell what it was. It just looked flat, and I kept thinking, the land isn't that flat on this part of the volcano, is it? I mean, that's crazy. And then finally, when we got enough light, beginning to ambient light, to come up over the edge of the clouds way out on the horizon, we began to see that these were just these, this flat layer of clouds that stretched as far as we could see. And then the sky began to, to get purple. You know, the black began to turn to a dark purple, and, and then it began to shift into some reds and then into some oranges. And then this moment came where the, just the top edge of the sun just went bloop, like this. And uh, there was this green, brilliant green laser light flash that just went across the entire uh, range of what we could see. And then gradually the sun began to come up, and then gradually the heat came with it. It was, it was such an extraordinary experience. And it was an epiphany. It was, it was a revelation. Uh, all of us standing there, and especially those of us who would begin to question the wisdom 
of being here for this, it, suddenly things intersected, that thing I talked about. They intersected and we went, wow. Oh, oh, this, this is what it's like. This is what it's about. It was amazing. I get that same sense when I see that sunrise come over the mountains. And it's a, it's a shadow, it's a picture of this verse. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That's a promise for the nation of Israel, but that's also a promise for you. And it's interesting, this language, because this is also telling us about the Messiah. He is the light, right? Arise, shine, for your light has come. There's so much intertwined in here that, that the life of Christ, the person of Christ, is our life. We are to be the person of Christ in the world today. What would my life look like if Jesus were living my life? Not if I were trying to live my life. I always have to be careful how I say this because we want to imitate Jesus. But that doesn't mean I, I should go and walk in the physical steps that Jesus walked in and try and do all the single things that he did, you know, to try and imitate his life. I'm trying to imitate who he is. But who is he in the life I'm living next to the people I'm living with? If he were here today and he were me, with all of the qualities and characters of who Jesus is, how would he live his life? His light has come to us, and the glory of the Lord should be with us in our lives. So let's continue. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. You can easily see from that example of, of the, the volcano at, at Hawaii that as we stood there, it was pitch black out there, just darkness. And then the sun rose and everything began to, to brighten. Everything began to warm. The people that were standing there, we began to feel the heat of the sun as it rose. And that's kind of the imagery that's given here, that before the Messiah arrives, the world is covered in darkness and the people even more so because they have no hope. They don't see that they have a future. They don't see that they have a purpose. But the glory of the Lord is going to arrive with the Messiah, and he's like the sun breaking that horizon, and everything will begin to become illuminated for those who will have eyes to see. Their lives can be warmed with the purpose of Christ. Then in verse 3 it says this, that nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. And all of this language begins to, to speak to the idea that what we see today, I, I'm always fascinated a little bit by people who, uh, I've, I've run across a few people of late here who, absolutely reject the idea that Jesus even existed. Not that, not that he is who we believe that he is, not that he is who we believe the Bible says that he is, and if we believe the Bible, not at all that they, they, they reject that Jesus 
is who he said he is, but even take his position of saying he just never existed. He's just a figment of imagination. And yet we sit here today with a, a calendar and a culture across the world that's actually divided by this person's existence. It seems a little fantastical to me to take the approach, uh, especially considering there's, there's other historical evidence to back up the idea that Jesus did exist as a human being. He was here. But it's a pretty big leap to say he just, he just didn't even exist. When you look at the evidence around us that, that culture and society has reacted to the person who was Jesus Christ by literally dividing time. These passages are saying that that arrival, that event, that impact that the Messiah would have would then begin to start a reaction among the people of God, starting in the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, of a return to some kinds of abundance and, and riches and notoriety that, kind of like we talked about uh, last week, is easy to take and, and turn into, well, it means I'm going to have a fat bank account or big cars or, you know, fur coats. And God thinks in much more uh, eternal and, and long-lasting uh, ways of thinking than that. Can, can he bless you financially? Yes, he can. And does he sometimes with people? Certainly he does. Um, is that all God's about when he says he's going to bless you or he's going to be abundant? Absolutely not. And in fact, it's usually not. Instead, he wants to give us things that are... That are um, that are eternal. And so when he begins to speak to these, uh, to these things here, there are some physical things that will show up as representations of the blessing of God, but they speak to much deeper things in the lives of the nation of Israel, and they speak to much deeper things in our lives as well. But he says, when the Messiah comes, when the, when the light shines, when it arises, in us, that other nations will see it and be drawn to it. That other peoples will see the work of God in us, the, the glory of God revealed. And they will want to know what that is. How does that happen? What's it about? I remember when I was a kid, we'd have uh, like church testimony time. Something we should do soon, by the way. We haven't done it in a long time. And just have the opportunity. We say, anybody have something they want to share? You know, God's doing something cool in your life, or you got a prayer need that we could pray for right now, whatever it is, and people would share uh, a word. And, and I remember so often there would be this... Uh, Someone would say, uh, you know, I just, I just made a decision to, to follow Jesus. I just became a Christian or I just got saved, whatever. Uh, you know, I just got born again. And that was a, a phrase that was used a lot. And he said, it was because I was hanging out with so-and-so. And he said, I just noticed there was something about them that was different. And, and 
you know, this event had happened or this circumstance that had happened, it was really hard. And I saw the way that they responded to that. And I saw that they had this peace or they had this joy or they had this confidence that I didn't have. And I said, I said, I got to have that. What is that? And I'm not sure I hear that much anymore. I'm not sure I hear a lot of stories about people that are, that are in the world looking at us as a church or us as believers and saying, what do you have that I don't have? That could be a lot of reasons for that. Uh, I think it'd be foolish to think that the world isn't harder than it used to be. Um, it's a tough place out there. So that's part of it. But I wonder if part of it is because we really don't let our light shine so much like we used to. And I, look, I'm pointing at me. Are we just not that different? Are we um, too self-sufficient? I mean, we're, we're pretty fat, dumb, and happy in America, even at our most poverty-stricken levels, just about, compared to the rest of the world. We're too content that the world can't look at us and see in our love for Christ their need for Christ. I don't know. I wonder. <laughs> what, we, what we should be, what we hope to be, what... He promised us was in verse 5. He says, then the light, the light will shine. The glory of God will come. You will feel that. You'll, you'll, you'll experience that. You'll take that in. He says, and then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? <laughs> the young camels of Midian and Ephah and all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Now, this is, this is a section that really reveals that idea that this is about, these prophecies are about multiple things. There are multiple layers here. Because we see the, the, the stuff that's easy to apply to the nation of Israel. Oh, you're going to be returned to your riches. Uh, great things are going to happen. People are going to look at you and go, wow, what's going on over there? I want to know what that is. And then we can apply that to us as followers of Christ today who've been adopted into the kingdom of God and into the family of God and are part of his chosen people, that those same things apply. Uh, man, uh, blessings are going to be yours and, and prosperity is going to be for you and, and people will look at you and say, wow, what do you got that I don't have? I want to know what that is. And then we get to this part that's clearly directly related to events that we can identify with in the story of the stable and the kings, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, these people will come with camels, right? Uh, they will gather around you so this is where we get some of that idea, that, idea that, that evidence that Jesus fulfilled prophecies because this is speaking about him. But what does that mean in practical terms for us? I don't have a place to put a camel. Uh, I, I, just, I just don't. 
But this tells us here, if we think about it in terms of, of the event that Jesus experienced as a young boy and his family, the reason we call this the epiphany is because it was always assumed that the Messiah would be the Messiah for the lowest people, the people that nobody cared about, the people on the fringes, the people on the edges, the people that are forgotten, those of us who struggle. Because that's, I mean, that's what a savior should be for, right? I mean, those are people that need a savior. But more than being called king of the Jews by the Magi in the Old Testament in, in Isaiah, he's called the king of kings. See, he can't be a true Messiah if he's not a Messiah for everyone. And this arrival of the Magi, this arrival of the kings, was important for the rest of the people around them to really understand who Jesus was. And so in practical terms, when it says that you will be, he was covered by a multitude of camels, and then all these places are named, um, we, John and I were talking about this morning, we're assuming both dromedaris and Bactrian camels. Dromedaris have how many humps? One. Thank you. Was that Jeremy? Right? Then that means Bactrian have two, which are endangered, by the way. Sad, sad thing. Um, But we assume that they were there. In in our little uh, uh, nativity scene, probably the one you have at home, there used to be three wise guys, right? Three. Used to be three wise guys. Three wise guys. I don't know. And, a, and an appropriate number of camels. But the picture we get here is that there were a lot more. There might have only been three kings, but the, the accompaniment of people that came with them was enormous. So much so that I would envision that wherever Jesus was when they arrived, this caravan if you were standing on the outside of it, you couldn't even see Jesus in the midst of all that. You go, well, why? Who cares? Why does this matter? Jesus can only be the Messiah for the lowest if he's the Messiah for all. And this speaks to the idea that even though God clothed himself in human flesh, came as that child, that infant helpless baby in the manger to grow as a young boy, to grow as a young man, and to embark on his mission as God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Ultimately, to sacrifice himself on the cross for us and for our sins and to prove that everything he ever said about himself and everything that he ever said he could do including, and most importantly, that he could save us, he proves that with his resurrection and his power over the ultimate equalizer, which is death. He has to be the king for everyone. And this sort of final event of the Christmas story puts the exclamation point on that. Because here come these powerful, powerful men. Wealthy. They have, there's nothing they need. 
There's nothing they should be asking for. No one can do anything for them that they can't do for themselves. And yet, even the most powerful come and they bring gifts. Gifts that hint at who Jesus is. Gold, a gift for a king. Frankincense and myrrh, odd. Typically fragrances and perfumes and oils used to embalm the bodies of the dead when they're buried. And yet it's a foreshadowing of the sacrifice Jesus would make. It's an epiphany moment because everyone up to this point was like, yeah, Jesus, Messiah. He's Messiah for me because, man, my life is hard. That's the kind of Messiah I need. He's going to come in and make things better. And then when they see these men from the seats of power and the seats of wealth traveling with a complement of camels and people that we can't really comprehend because we don't have it recorded here of what it really looked like. But guys, they were covered by a multitude of camels. It was huge. When those guys show up and then bow their knee to the king of kings, that's when the ultimate truth of who Jesus is really comes to humanity. He's not just for some. He's not just for a few. He is here for everyone. From those who think they're the lowest of the low to those who think they've got it all figured out. He's the same Messiah for everyone. And if we if we receive him as that Messiah, if we acknowledge that, you and I, he says to us, uh, the light will come, it arises, the glory of God will come, and we should see around us the people who encounter us, the people who know us, the people who love us, should see the work of God in us. Even if we don't say it out loud, I hope the people around us recognize that something is different and that something is our worship for Jesus Christ the King. And I just have to look at my own life and say, is that true? And if it's not, what do I need to do differently? Because I want people to know. I want them to know it by my life and I want them to know it through my words that Jesus Christ is the King. And if they don't know him, I'd like for them to make the journey to see him for who he is and maybe have them bow their knee to the King of Kings like I did. I pray that for you too. It is our mission in the world, above any other mission, but within the context of our lives, 
whatever life you're living, whatever job you're doing, whatever career you're pursuing, whatever art you're creating, let Jesus be in the middle of that so that you are declaring he is the king of kings. Would you stand with me for closing words? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you and may he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. Lord, thank you for your light shining upon us. May your glory, your presence, your purpose arise in our lives in all the things that we do, the things that we say, the way that we treat one another, the way that we love our neighbor. And Lord, speak to us if there are ways and parts of our lives that need more of you. so that uh, the nations can see that our friends will be drawn to you, that our moments will be filled with purpose. Thank you for your love towards us and your great immeasurable grace. In Jesus' name, amen.